0: Persistent prayer. You know, I realize that many of us have abandoned prayer in our life. And I think mainly because we have an issue and we have abandoned the spiritual in our life, especially the spiritual things. Uh, one book that I love uh, that, that talks about just what the, I'm, I'm getting some feedback up here, if you can lower me in the monitor. One thing that the this book uh, by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters talks about uh, that I really love. Is he goes through what the enemy will want to do to get us to stop praying uh, and to get us to stop believing in the spiritual things that the Bible talks about often that we are supposed to live in, but in our age of logic and reason, oftentimes we have no room for the supernatural. In our life. And in fact, when even in church, when we speak of the supernatural, we start to get squirmy and iffy uh, because of maybe it was because of how it is abused in the past uh, with emotionalism. Or maybe it is because in our world of logic and reason and philosophy, we cannot fathom a world where everything must be tested by the scientific theory uh, and explain that way except for, you know, how life began and, you know, the Big Bang and things like that. That requires faith, but we won't get into that. Uh, everything must be tested, and so we leave no room for the supernatural I'm going to give you a story of when I was younger. There was a time where I encountered the supernatural very seriously. I think I was 19 at the time. I was one of the youth leaders in my church, back at the church, my father's church. I grew up in resurrection. And my brother, my older brother, was a youth pastor at the time. And he just, he finished preaching a sermon. He did a call for prayer. Some people had come up. You know, I, I prayed for a couple. He prayed for a couple. Then I left and went downstairs and was just greeting some new people, hanging out with some of the youth. This is a Friday night. It's probably like 10 o'clock at this point, and I get a call, and it's my brother Chris. He says, Just, come up here. I need your help. I'm in the back room. And so I went up, and I go in the back room. I, I didn't know what I was walking into, but there was a person that he was praying for that was manifesting, had been possessed by a demon. And uh, I'll never forget that, Time because I remember, you know, I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this, but growing up in Sunset Park here in this neighborhood, we would do street outreaches on Fifth Avenue, Fourth Avenue all the time. This is something as a kid that was normal for me that I encountered all the time. And at that moment, this uh, person was scientifically what we would call having an epileptic seizure, foaming at the mouth, um, on the floor. But what's something that you're not supposed to do during an epileptic seizure was he was talking to us uh, during the seizure, and uh, cursing at us um, and all sorts of stuff, in a voice that was different. Um, and while he was doing this, me and Chris just prayed over him, and we prayed until um, the demon had left. He was able to come back, he came back to his senses, and then we had a conversation with him of what just happened of which he remembered nothing of. But what was interesting, you know, this whole ordeal was about a half an hour, and me and Chris uh, afterwards just sat down and we were talking with each other about what just happened. And what we discovered in that moment was both him and I, unbeknownst to each other, had prayed and fasted that entire week. Uh, and that wasn't something that we had planned, but I went on a, a fruit and water fast, and he went, also went on a... A fruit and water fast. And I, shortly after that, I, I was in, a, it was my freshman year of college, and I was in a Psychology 101 class. And in the Psychology 101 class, the professor started talking about epileptic seizures. And I was like, man, that sounds like what the guy was doing in the room when we were praying for him. And so I raised my hand, you know, this is a lecture class of 500 students. And I raised my hand and I asked the teacher, I was like, Professor, Is someone supposed to be able to have a conversation with you and talk to you while they're in an epileptic seizure? And he said, no, that's impossible. That part of the brain is turned off. Uh, And what I realized at that moment was, you know, the scripture in Mark where Jesus says, you know, the demon, there, there are people that cannot, the disciples can't cast out a demon. And Jesus says, well, this kind only comes out with prayer and with fasting was But God was preparing us for something that was going to happen that night that we didn't know uh, was going to happen, but God was preparing us to walk into it. Here's the truth that I want us to understand as we get into today's sermon, that we are in a battle every single day. And if we are not praying, we are losing that battle. I want you to understand that. That every day, whether you realize it or not, The truth of the matter is, in our life, we are in a battle. The Bible and a lot of other Christians would call this a spiritual war, a spiritual warfare. And every single day, this battle is raging on, whether in our heart, in our city, or in our church. It is happening. Whether we believe in it or not, this is the truth of life. And if we are not praying, then we are losing. And I want us to understand that. Jesus has a saying that he says throughout most of the book of Luke, that most translations will translate it as this word, this Greek word, as it is necessary or must. And he says this a few times throughout the book of Luke about different things that we have to do in our walk with God. And... I want us today, we're going to read one of those times. And this time, the translation, the translations, uh, most of them translated as ought. And so today in the ESV, we're going to read it as ought. And that's why sometimes we lose some of the original language because this word is used over and over and over again that Jesus says it is necessary or we must. Here we see as we ought to. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, I want us to read that together. We're just going to read verse 1 for now. And This is Jesus speaking. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So, what does Jesus say? He teaches them a parable. And in this parable, the point of the parable that Luke gives us is this that it is necessary to always pray. It is necessary to always pray. I want that to sit with you for a moment, that it is necessary to always pray. What I want to talk through today is four things we need to do to regain our prayer life. Four things that we need to do to regain our prayer life. You know, what I I have found, as I have said, is that many of us, because we have abandoned the spiritual, we have abandoned prayer in that. That prayer has become too conceptual, too spiritual, too non-immediate for us, for us to continue to do it. We want, right, we have things like Amazon where we want something, I buy it, it's gonna show up in two hours and I can track the dude when he's shopping for my stuff, when he puts it in the cart, if it's not in there, when he gets in his car, when he drives to the other stops on the way to my house, when he stops at mine, to when he opens the fence and he texts me, hey, I'm here, we are used to immediate results that as soon as we do something, we want to see it. And so we have abandoned spiritual practices that are a labor that develop us over a lifetime and develop fruit in our life for many reasons. And so the first thing I want us to understand today is that we need to start praying, church. It is Almost sad to me that I need to remind us to do this, but in our world where prayer oftentimes is an afterthought of our life, that we can get through life without prayer, prayer, which is an exercise of pride. Well, if I don't need to pray, that means, well, I'm good. I don't really need God in my life. I don't need his spirit with me because I can get through on my own. The first thing I want you to understand is you need to start praying that Jesus says it is necessary that we, not even that we necessary that we pray. What does it say? It is necessary that we always pray. This is a must, church. This is not a suggestion of Jesus. This is not an optional way that we live our life. But Jesus is very clear clear that this is a necessary part of the Christian walk. That without it, we are losing one of the most vital functions of our life with God. That if we do not pray, that we are losing that we are losing out in the spiritual battle that is happening around us. We are losing out to the war with our flesh. We are losing out to the relationship with God. We are losing. Prayer should be a daily routine in our life. In fact, Paul says this also, that we should always be in prayer. Jesus says it here. It was necessary that we always be in prayer, so much so that prayer should be a regular part of our routine and our life and our every day, that for all things we do with prayer and supplication. Does that mean that I'm taking the train and praying in tongues out loud in the train? No, that's not what that means. What does that mean? That means I'm in constant community, communion with God. That, yeah, even on the train, that I'm asking God, give me your eyes. What are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to live my life? That when I am at work, when I am with my family, when I am with my friends, that when I wake up in the morning before I go to sleep, God is on my mind. That I spend time with him. What relationship can we sustain that we never spend time with the person? I put it before you that the reason why you have a best friend or a friend is because you talk to them. Although I read a study as of late that 30% of adults in America do not have a friend. And a friend is someone that you can call casually about your day. Some people have 30 friends. <laughs> so maybe we don't pray because we lost the art of friendship and we haven't learned to be a friend of God. That we're so lo- used to loneliness and isolation that we've isolated ourselves from God. But the first step to regaining relationship, I would then put before you, is build a relationship with God. Pray. Jesus says it is necessary that we must always pray. Church, if you have not prayed, then I would say your homework today is to go home and pray. Don't pray for five minutes. You don't build a friendship at five minutes a day. Don't pray once this week. Go home, look at your calendar if you have one. If you don't create one, say, how do I arrange my life around time with God? That is how we pray and build a best friend and a relationship. Not how can I fit you in here between my cereal and my news reading in the morning. The second step is to pray persistently. What does the end of this verse say? It says that you ought to, or it is necessary to always pray and not lose hearts. To not lose heart means that if you haven't seen what you are praying for, that you give up. No, what does it mean? That you keep praying, that you don't lose hope, that you don't lose heart, that you persistently pray in your life. And then Jesus gives an example of the widow who is going to the judge, and and Jesus' example is a prayer for justice for the righteous, that when the widow goes before the judge, and he uses the example of an unjust judge, which is crazy to compare God, the only just judge, to an earthly unjust judge, not even what we would call an earthly just judge. But Jesus compares God to an Unjust judge, and he says, The widow goes before the judge to receive justice, but she never receives justice because the judge could care less about her. But every single day, persistently, she goes before the judge pleading her case, and finally the judge says, Ah, oh, I'm tired of you. I'm just gonna give you what you want. But then what does Jesus say about this? How does he compare this? In Luke 18, verse six, right, a few verses later after verse one, it says, and the Lord said, or Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him? What, listen, day and night. Day and night. We have been tempted and have given up praying after the second prayer. Some of us don't understand persistence, what it means to go before God every single day and pray and cry out to God and say, God, I want to be close to you. I want to know you. I remember when I read John 10 and I read that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and I realized in my own Christian walk that I did not know God's voice. And I went home and I sulked. And when I was sulking, I realized something. Well, if this is the truth, then maybe I should go pray to hear God's voice. And so every day for four months, and you know, if anybody knows me, you know this is an act of God, that I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning to pray because I was the only, I had to leave for school at 7 o'clock. And I prayed every day, and my prayer every single day was, God, I want to know your voice. And I went before God praying, God, I want to know your voice. God, I want to know your voice. God, I want to know your voice. And I still remember the moment. It was a Wednesday night before a midweek worship and prayer service. I was sitting down waiting for service to start, and God spoke to me. And what he said was, Justin, this is my voice. And he showed me in that moment, as God does, in a split second, all the times throughout my life, he had spoken to me the same way. And he said, now you know what my voice is like. And so from then I was able to discern the voice of the Lord in my life. What would have happened if I would have just prayed once, God, I want to know your voice, and then, oh, the cares of the world or the things that look more shiny, the TV and the relationships and the friends and the girls look better, and I spent more time with them. I would have never known the voice of God. I would have never known what to do with my life. I would have never known what major to pick. I would have never known which girlfriend to date. I would have never known what I should do with my life, what career I should, what, anything. I would have never known. I didn't know the voice of God. We need to pray persistently. But guess what? We may pray persistently and not get what we pray for. Here's one reason I see in James chapter 4, verse 2 to 3 that I want to put before us. It says in James chapter 4, verse 2, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't—you cannot get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure, If your prayer life, which is what I believe many of our prayer lives have succumbed to, is only to ask God for promotions, for babysittings, for better housing, for more stuff, then not only is that a shallow prayer life that won't last, but it is a prayer life that will go unanswered. I think of Solomon's prayer when God came to him and said, ask for one thing. And Solomon said, give me wisdom that I may rule your people wisely. And God said, because of that, not only will I give you wisdom, but everybody else would have asked for riches, for a bigger kingdom, for great armies. I will give you all of that as well. When I hear the desires, and usually our desires lead to our prayers, when I hear the prayers of the saints today, I don't hear the things that Jesus told us to pray for. I don't hear that we live in his will, that we submit ourselves to him, that we forgive people who have hurt us, that we see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven to praise him as father, as Lord above all. What I hear is the American dream. God, give me more stuff so that I can finally be happy. And that is a prayer that no matter how often or how persistent we pray, will never be answered. I can pray all I want for more money. but If I'm not generous with what I have, God will never give me stewardship over more. See, our, the enemy has tricked us to even when we do pray, to pray fruitless prayers that go nowhere and lead us nowhere so we no longer even do those. But if our motive is God's motive, is God's prayers, then the scripture calls us to a prayer life that is persistent, that goes to the just judge every day, and prays and sees that he will never leave the righteous forsaken, that he will answer the prayers of the saints, that our prayers go up before him in heaven, it says in Revelation, like sweet incense, that he loves the smell of our prayers in heaven, that the prayers of the saint rise, and God loves them. And so, church, don't just, don't just start praying, but pray persistently, pray daily, pray always. Don't pray once, man. I, I used to have a problem praying more because I got locked into the unbiblical idea that, well, God's just gonna do whatever he wants anyway. That's what happens when you take philosophy and mix it with Biblical understanding of Scripture and allow the philosophy to work over the Scripture because philosophically, God is sovereign. So what is the need to pray? But biblically, the Bible says God is sovereign. Pray every day. Philosophically, that's a hard tension to hold. Sometimes it may not make sense, and sometimes to me it doesn't make sense. But I know that I am commanded to pray, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray every single day. I'm going to pray to the sovereign God that is above everything that holds me in his hand, that no one can snatch me from, who through him, by him, and forth him, all things were created. And I will pray persistently to him. The third thing is to pray fervently. In James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Another word for fervently is passionately. Listen, praying passionately doesn't mean that you have to scream God doesn't have a decimal meter in in heaven and say, "Uh, you didn't hit eight this time. But for Christ's sake, mean it when you pray. So often our prayers are drudgery before God. Can you imagine, for those that are married, your spouse, for those of us who have relationships, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, for those of us who've had them, maybe this is why it ended now, whenever you talk to them, it's like, how are you doing? How was your day? Is eh, this is all right. How are you? You feeling good? Right. See how you're doing today. All right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping we can get this done today. Imagine every interaction. Love you too. Some of you, that's why it ended. You heard the love. It was like, they ain't no love in that word. I think we're going to have to have a talk. (laughs) And we go to God with this. Pray passionately, fervently. Mean the prayers that you pray. For me, when I'm not praying passionately, it means I'm distracted. I'm texting this person, listening to this song, thinking about this thing on my to-do list, phone open, on, loud, computer on, Slack going off, every five seconds, checking if I got a new email. How can you pray passionately like that? So for me, I have to turn it all off and I have to sit down and I have to praise God and I have to say, God, this is your time. And man, sometimes it may not start with that fervor. But as I begin to pray and praise God and remember everything that he's done and everything that he is and how worthy and how holy is that he is in the slain land that was slain on my behalf and how unworthy I am, yet he clothes me and yet he allows me and yet he tore the veil too and yet while I was still a sinner, he allowed me in. Then when I remember the truth, then at some point something switches in me and I pray fervently and passionately because he is worthy of it all. And I begin to pray the things of God for God's will to happen. I begin to pray over the saints of the church. I begin to pray over my family because what happens when the good news hits you, when you see something good, when you are reminded of something good, what is it that you want naturally is you want everyone to experience that goodness. It says here in James that Elijah was like us, like any human being, any man or woman. He was a regular dude like all of us. But when he prayed passionately, the heavens themselves closed up and it did not rain. I'm going to quote this in the New King James because I'm a little old and i Remember this in the New King James. In James chapter five, verse 16, it says, what the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous person avails much or has much power in its working. We have been devoid of prayer mainly because we feel like it is devoid of power. When you begin to pray, you pray persistently. You pray fervently. That's why I've I've become to really detest the recommendation of, well, just spend five to 10 minutes with God every day and you'll be okay because if that's the best you can do for now, fine, that's the best you can do, but that should not be your goal. That should not be your plateau. That should not be where you end off. To pray persistently and fervently before God is to say, God, I am in desperate need of you. See, the longer you live in the gospel, the longer you live in Christ, there's one truth and reality that should hit you greater and greater every day, and that is your desperate need for Christ and his salvation. Your sinfulness, your heart's desire to stray and your deep need for his spirit to be on you every single moment of every single day. The longer I've walked with Christ, the the more I've realized how deceitful my heart is. How much it causes me to wander, how much it causes me to allow excuses and to allow the enemy to come into my life. And so when I go before God, I throw myself before him in prayer. God, I desperately need you. My life cannot go on without you. I cannot continue. And it's amazing when I go periods without prayer and then I start praying again, how the things that troubled me, the things that worried me, the things that brought anxiety, the things that were depressing me just begin to evaporate in the midst of prayer. When you behold the glory of God, there's just something that happens. And that is what you do in prayer. You are beholding the glory of God because his presence comes. We're just, if my sins, my desires, these things begin to evaporate before his presence My heart begins to change. The closer I get to him, the more I begin to change, the more my desires, my wants, the things that I once held dear to my life that I thought I will never be able to live my life without this begin to walk away from me because they cannot stay in the presence of God. And the last step, step four, that I want to encourage you with today is pray for the spirit. In Luke chapter 11, verses nine to 13, Jesus says this, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Most of us stop right there. Lord, I've been knocking for that promotion. Been seeking for that boo. Been asking for more money and new home. Ask and seek and knock and waiting to receive. Where it at? Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, I love the Lord when he says stuff like this, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God keeps comparing himself to the evilness of us. And and it is in the context of prayer. See, prayer... A lot of times we've over-spiritualized it. That's why some of us never pray because we think, I don't know the words. I don't have the language. I don't know enough scripture to pray. I'm not cool enough like this person or can do it long enough like that person or loud enough like this one. But all prayer is is a conversation, community with God. It is asking, it is seeking, it is opening, knocking. God, where are you? I need you. If you've learned to have a conversation with a person, you've learned to pray with God. But Jesus says here, in the asking, seeking, and knocking, he puts it in relationship and he grounds it in this. What should you be asking for, seeking for, knocking? That sounds very persistent. That sounds someone that is doing it fervently, passionately, that is going before God daily for, that it is necessary to live for. What should we do? He says what? The Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. That is why every day I pray that scripture that Paul and I prayed it over many of you that have come up and asked for prayer. That Paul says that we would not be filled with new wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. Because that is the greatest analogy in drunkenness and alcoholism it is an everyday filling that is needed. And we see it, it is a craving that we run to it every single day, we want it, we need more. And that's how Paul relates us to going to God for the Holy Spirit, that we need it every single day. Jesus, in other terms, says to seek, knock, ask. Now when we go before him that I go, I pray every day, God, fill me with your spirit today. Because little old empty Justin cannot get through the day Without your spirit, I cannot do what you have called me to do without your spirit. I cannot walk out in obedience without your spirit. I cannot parent well without your spirit. I cannot be a good husband without your spirit. I cannot be a good pastor without your spirit. I cannot be a good boss without your spirit. I cannot be a good person without your spirit. I need your spirit. Church, pray for the spirit. Pray for his fruit, pray for his gifts, pray for his power, pray for his boldness, pray for his filling. That is just some of the buffet of what we see the disciples praying for in scripture and what Jesus gives in the spirit and what the spirit does. Pray for the spirit because without the spirit, we cannot live our daily life of Christ. It is only by the Spirit that we are empowered, emboldened to walk out the life that we are called to live. It is only by the Spirit that we can put to death this body of flesh. It is only by the Spirit that we can do what God has called us to do. It is only by the Spirit that we can walk in righteousness and be purified. It is only by the Spirit that the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness will grow in us over time. It is only by the Spirit that we will receive the gifts in order to build up the church and build up the body and the kingdom of God here on earth. It is only by the Spirit. And so we are called in our prayer to ask, seek, knock for the Spirit of God. And what are we promised by Jesus that if even a evil person knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our good father give us the good gift of the Holy Spirit when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock? It reminds me of my daughter, Elle. She has perfected the art of getting what she wants. <laughs> and how does she do it? She asks the same question, no matter how many times it takes to ask, until I respond and get it for her. Daddy, can I have water? 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 Daddy, can I- are you going crazy? Because I'm going crazy. Daddy, can I have water? Daddy, can I have water? I'm gonna go, yes, you can have water! <laughs> Let me get you your water. <laughs> Sorry for screaming. <laughs> but to never stop asking, to be persistent, to be fervent, and see how God is faithful to radically change your life when we pray. Church, if the enemy has tricked us out of praying, he has defeated us. If he's tricked us into our prayer lives being useless to spend on our own desires, he has done his job. My prayer today is that we are a praying church, that we know how to go before God by ourselves and together. We know how to seek his face. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. It was an expectation that they would pray every single day before God. Can you stand with me as we close in prayer? For many of us, it may feel like a burden, another thing to add to our calendar. It only feels like that until you start doing it. Because when you do it, you realize, how could I have lived my life without this? This is the greatest thing that I can add to my life. It is the greatest burden lifter. It is the greatest, the easiest yoke. It is the only thing that allows me to walk out the life that God has called me to live. Father, I thank you that you are a good father and that you want to give us the good gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us that have been tricked into a life without prayer, that you would raise the veil from our lives and our eyes right now and that we would see, Lord, the sin, the dirt, the death that we feel inside as a direct result of us having no prayer life. Lord, that we would hear your words echo in our head every day. It is necessary that we must always pray. Lord, that we would remember that you have equipped us to live the life that you have called us to live that you have given us what we need if we would just come before you and ask seek and knock and that when we come that we would come fervently before you not as a chore not as a weight but say god here i am this is your time And I thank you for the transformation that will happen in that. Help us to pray, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we worship, our prayer team will be on the side. And at any moment during worship, if you would like to receive prayer with, from somebody else, you can come at any time and we will pray with you.